Alrighty, welcome to another episode here of Beyond Eight Figures. Steve O's hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Hello, Mary Goulet. Richie Ote. What's your baby? How's it going? Whiteway's holding it down in the studio. Kelly's got in control back at headquarters. And here on Beyond Eight Figures, we sit down with entrepreneurs who've either exited for more than $10 million or currently run businesses that gross more than $10 million. And we get to the bottom of how they started and scaled and exited from that business. And so, man, we just had uh, uh, just an awesome lineup of folks in some of our past episodes that you guys definitely want to check out. If you've missed any of the past episodes, well, go back. And, I mean, even from the very beginning, sitting down with Reed Tracy from Hay House and Roland Frazier. I mean, like, it just it's been an amazing group of folks who have joined us here on the show so far. And we've got some really interesting and exciting interviews coming up too i just um just lined up uh an interview for us we got to lock down the date now but uh you know we, we have a fair share of of men and women on the show uh but one of the more successful uh women entrepreneurs that i know of is shalene johnson oh nice who has been doing a lot of really interesting things uh so shalene will be joining us in the near future so that'll be a lot of fun and uh Pretty sure we just lined up Ryan Levesque as well, or Ryan Levesque, depending on how you pronounce it, and uh, <laughs> he'll he'll correct me if when uh, when we, we have him on. But uh, just a, a really interesting lineup of folks coming uh, on as well. So if you're not yet subscribed to Beyond Eight Figures, make sure you subscribe to the show. That way you'll get notification of every new episode as it's released. And of course, for those of you who've taken the time to rate and review the show on your platform of choice. Uh, we really appreciate it, and uh, of course, you know the the honesty is is expected and preferred. So, if we deserve five stars, cool. Let us know, and if we don't, then well, let us know that as well. What Steve did wrong? What did Steve do wrong? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Blame it on Steve. That would be the easiest solution there. And we uh, we had an opportunity to just meet some amazing people at uh, the New Media Summit, which is our live event where we bring in 40 top podcasters and we give 150 attendees the opportunity to meet them and learn from them and pitch them on who they are and what they do uh, and literally get booked on the spot. And so we just finished up our last New Media Summit, so New Media Summit 4, mm-hmm. hard to believe, but that was our fourth one already. And uh, we just wrapped that one up in Tampa and now the gang is all back together here in San Diego and if you want to get booked on today's top podcast, then, well, join us at the New Media Summit because the best way to make that happen is to meet the podcasters and develop real relationships with them. And that's exactly what happens. You will walk in the door, perhaps at one very specific point of your business journey, and you will walk out of those doors, certainly with 200 new real relationships with people, including, as I said, 40 top podcasters or the icons of influence, as we call them. Uh, Tickets have not yet gone on sale for our next event, New Media Summit 5, which will be taking place September 16th through the 18th in San Diego. But block it off on the calendar right now, September 16th through the 18th in San Diego. Uh, And, of course, you can get all the details at NewMediaSummit.net. And that's NewMediaSummit.net. And we'll let you know when tickets go on sale for that. And at the New Media Summit, the last one, you know, we met some really interesting guests, uh, some of whom uh, will definitely qualify here for Beyond Eight Figures, and uh, a large, large, large majority of them will qualify uh, for joining us on Reinvention Radio, which is our other show. So if you haven't listened to Reinvention Radio, check that out as well. All right, let's jump into it. 
because I know as much as you love hearing my voice, you actually probably prefer hearing the voices of the entrepreneurs that we bring on, uh, again, who have uh, taken their entrepreneurial journey where very few have ever been able to go. And so taking us to that great beyond today, and we'll be sharing his strategies for starting and scaling and exiting a business is Tony Falkenstein. Is it Falkenstein or Falkenstein? I want to make sure I don't butcher it throughout. Ah, Falkenstein, you've got it totally right. Uh-huh. Well, there you go. Am I the first, am I the first New Zealander ever on Beyond Eight? Uh, that's a really good question. I think we had somebody on. Who do we have Ugg on? The Ugg Boots guy? Well, we had the Ugg Boots guy on, right? So Brian Smith right. was on. Okay. So Yeah, and uh, and I feel like we had somebody from Australia, but you guys don't. Do you, do, do New Zealand, do, do, let me just make this. I don't want to insult you there, but New Zealanders and Australia, like you guys don't like each other, right? Is that Or, or are you guys okay? Are you cool now? Uh, we love each other except when we're playing. Okay. When we're playing sport against <laughs> oh, each other, we hate each other. <laughs> yeah, all right. So if the rugby game is on or cricket or whatever the game of choice, what, what are the games oh. of choice there, by the way? Yeah, rugby and cricket. Rugby yeah, in okay. winter, cricket in summer. Yeah, all right. See, I kind of know my my down under sports. There you go. <laughs> How did you end up in uh, in New Zealand? Is that born and born and raised, and you just never uh, left? Born and bred. Born and bred. Really? Had German parents, and uh, they came out uh, before the war, and yeah. uh, I got born in New Zealand. Wow, and and you've been there ever since. So let's um let let's get this out of the way early here and if you listen to the show you know that we like to dig into a lot of the details around how you were able to do what you were able to do but specifically we need to start with what you were able to do so how do you meet the criteria for beyond eight figures did you exit for more than 10 million dollars or do you currently run a business that grosses more than 10 million annually or both well steve it's both i've uh, so currently i'm running a business which i started 32 years ago and that's got a turnover of $40 million. So I, 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 I IPO'd it uh, 10 years ago, mm. but I still hold 70%. That's and unbelievable. Then, I want to talk about that. Okay, wow. And then I've uh, sold a couple of businesses, one for, 10, for $12 million, one for $4 million along the way. Yeah, wow, good for you. So t- take us back then through, and we'll get into the specifics of the so forty million, you've been doing that one for thirty-two years now. Wow, we'll talk a lot about that and how you got into that and what that is. But take us back to some of the embryonic stages of your entrepreneurial journey. I mean, has, it, has it always been wired in the in the DNA there to to be an entrepreneur? Did you, did you happenstance like how did, how did you get into the game? Well, I think it was always wired, but I didn't know it until I was. In fact, I remember when I was about twenty-two. <clears throat> like at school, I was. Uh, just an unknown. I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't smart. I was no good at sport. I was no good at art. I couldn't sing or anything like that. <laughs> so I was just a non-entity. Mm. And it was only when I was 22, I was working uh, for a company, and uh, and I kept on coming up with ideas. And I said, "Gee, why didn't we think of that?" And uh, and I was doing accounting stuff. Mm-hmm. And so um, and so really from there it developed. I suddenly realised I had a skill which I never knew I had before. Mm-hmm. And so by the age of 29, I was uh, chief executive of a, uh, of a U.S. subsidiary in New Zealand, uh, which was Polaroid. And, uh, and from there, I quite liked being the boss. So I stayed the boss mm-hmm. until I started my own company. So that, and I, I assume we're talking about Polaroid cameras, right? So That's right. Yeah, well, I don't know what other Polaroid there would be, but... I mean, that is pretty impressive. So did I hear you correctly? So in terms of the New Zealand, the, the territory, if you will, that was your market. You, you were the CEO of, of, the, of Polaroid New Zealand? Yeah, when I was 29. So I was the youngest CEO of wow. any subsidiary in the world. Wow. 
Wow, that's insane. So you must have learned quite a bit under, uh, I mean, let's just be honest here, on their dime, right? I mean, it, it takes a heck of an organization to, what, what were they doing, several billion in, in annual revenue, even in, in their hate? I mean, 29, I'm assuming that's whatever that is, 25, 30 years ago or something of that nature, right? Yeah, probably 40 years ago. 40 but they years were, ago? Um, yeah, they were, doing, they were doing about 2 billion then. Yeah. Yeah, so to be able to learn on their dime, what are some of the things? Oh, absolutely. So what what are some of the things that that have helped you on your entrepreneurial journey that you were able to able to learn being under the umbrella of of Polaroid there and obviously getting to to 2 billion. They made a lot of mistakes, but they also got a lot of things right. So what looking they back, did. what do you think you really learned from Polaroid? The one thing I I hated when I was there was they were always planning. It was always into planning <laughs> for the next quarter, for the next yeah. month planning forms, etc. But what I learned from it, it is so good. Not just, uh, I probably don't do as much planning, but, uh, but you're always looking ahead. You don't, you know, the numbers of history, they're behind you. They're gone. Mm. Look at what's happening the next month, the next quarter, the next year, and beyond that. So that was the biggest thing I, I think I learned that was a really good discipline. Um, other things I, I learned, I mean, yeah, U.S. companies generally, they're nice to, they're, they're just nice to work for. People are, you know, they're very, very, uh, very, very nice. When you're gone, you are gone. You're dead. But while you're there, <laughs> you're, uh, it's, uh, they're great companies to work for. Mm-hmm. Why give up the gig? I mean, that you probably could have moved on to being CEO of a different territory and then of a different territory. I mean, on a lot of levels. That would kind of seem like a, a dream job, especially to be so young and get that position there. Why, why give up that dream? Well, when I was uh, 33, they offered me the, um, the regional director in, in Europe. And the unfortunate thing was that, well, not unfortunate. I mean, I made the right decision. I, I just had aging parents and I really just couldn't leave them. Mm. So, uh, so I stayed, but it was that time also what it made me make was say, well, I had to make a decision. I thought, gee, was you're, um, you know, you're not taking up this opportunity. You've, you've done everything at, at Polaroid in, in terms of New Zealand. You made some good decisions, which have been taken up globally. Um, so, so I said, and I wrote to them, I said, this is the hardest decision of my life, mm. but I want to get out of here. I want to go to a, a listed, a publicly listed company as CEO, and uh, and that's what I did, which was losing money, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted the challenge, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And so that so that is what you did. Then you found an opportunity with a listed company, and yeah. and so you were recruited. You found them. How did you guys connect? And what happened on that uh, on that stint? Um, well, I went out. I mean, when your eyes are open, you know things happen, and. Uh, and so I can't really remember whether I applied or whether they approached me. Anyway, I, um, I got this job and it was a company that was, um, well, it was about to go uh, into receivership, uh, I, I think. Um, but anyway, we saved that. And when I came in, the share price was, was in fact, in cents. It was 48 cents. Mm-hmm. And when I left, it was $12. Wow. So after three years. So, um, Yeah. Did you and let's let's talk specifics on that. So was that traded only on the New, on the New Zealand exchange? Yeah, it was only on the New Zealand exchange. Only on the New Zealand exchange. And how many shares were outstanding? What was the market value when you came in? Do you, it, generally market, speaking, if you remember. Yeah, the market value was only about six million. Six million. And, yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
yeah. And, and so, uh, so by the time I by the time I left, it was about fifty million. Wow. And were you able to exit out of any of that stock? Were you able to see? Yeah, any... no, I exited out totally. The day I left, I, I sold my stock. You did. <laughs> so was that either the four or the fourteen million dollar exit? No, because that was. I mean, I didn't include that because that was just a um, you know shares in a in somebody else. Well, in a public company, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I only had a stake in it. So how many? But, you know, I, I think there was a story after that because I I walked away with in in terms of my share with a million dollars and went into my own business and lost a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you took the so cash out of took that. Took the cash. Mm-hmm. So you took the started cash out of that. Started another business. Mm-hmm. Started another. Started the business myself and uh, lost a lot. And that's when you lost. What? So what was that business and what what did you learn from that? Because obviously you learned some pretty important lessons. Yeah. What I um. What I did was I saw how successful at that stage Swatch Watch was mm-hmm. in the United States and mm-hmm. in Europe, mm-hmm. and I tried to get the agency, but it had gone to somebody else. So I went to Hong Kong and got similar type product, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I rang up uh, the people, the agency in New Zealand, and uh, for Swatch, and spoke to the receptionist, and I asked her uh, when are they launching. What are they doing? Advertising? How many models? How many different colors, etc. So I got all the market information off her, mm. and so I launched the same day as Swatch. We both had TV commercials similar to sort of Coke lifestyle type commercials. So between September and Christmas, we sold twenty-seven thousand watches, mm. and they sold six thousand. In fact, the first month of business, I sold a million dollars worth. Wow, it was a million dollars revenue. So, but what happened was. A lot of most of those watches um, were sold for for kids for Christmas Day, and uh, and by Christmas Day the plasticizer in the in the band had got very brittle. So the moment the kid put this on their on their wrist, mm-hmm. it broke. The right. strap broke. So yeah. a watch without a strap is no good at all. So um, so anyway, it, <laughs> it cost me. They all came back. So yeah. we sold four times as many watches as Swatch. But unfortunately, the, uh, the product was just a disaster. Inferior product. And Richie, yeah, what were you going to say? Yeah, it was just interesting. So when you were talking about um, working at Polaroid, the big takeaway I heard there was in planning, right? It was annoying at the time, but yeah, planning. Sure. But it's kind of interesting how it folded in your first venture. Like, <laughs> how do you even plan for that, right? So obviously that wasn't in the plan. Was that, was that part of it? Did you see, did you get a lesson out of that, that you moved into future companies? Yeah, well, the big lesson was this, was that there was there's enormous margin on, on watches, very high margin. And I went to Hong Kong and I bought the, I thought, you know, I mean, I think I paid $3 or something for the watches. And, you know, you sell them, they're sold for forty nine ninety five. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an excellent margin on. Now, if I had paid $3.50, I would have been able to go to a supplier that, um, that was supplying someone like Walmart, where I know they would have been tested, etc. Mm-hmm. But I thought, oh, I can save 50 cents here, which was just stupid mm. when there was so much margin in it. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, so, so the question I learned was lowest price is not always the best answer. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. point well taken. So... So let's move into then the first the first exit. Was the four million dollar exit first or was the fourteen million dollar exit first? Which one was first? Uh the four million one was first. Okay. And, I, um, and what was so that? Company? While, yeah. So while I was running uh, this company, uh, Just Water, and I 
See, I had it under control, I suppose. So, so, so if I just go back, so the first seven years of setting up a company, it's life and death, and you're, and you're walking a tightrope. And I could have easily gone under in those seven years. And the, um, you know, you're living on your, on your wits and on the, on the bank, mm-hmm. about to foreclose on you or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, but after, you know, 10 or 12 years, I was fine. I had a, I had a good management team. And, uh, and so, therefore, I looked for other opportunities. I look, happened to look at other opportunities outside uh, uh, my company. So, so the company is called, well, in fact, it changed its name. It was called Just Water International Limited. And today, March first, March first in New Zealand, it changed its name to Just Life Group Limited, mm. which I'll explain later. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, no, so what was I going? What was I going to say? So you were, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. You were, so you were talking about the embryonic stages of the first business that you exited from. Yeah, so that was it. So I bought this company, uh, Bureau, which was an office chair business, and um, it was a good, it was a good profitable business. But I like branded branded products and I saw it it was a wholesaling business and I thought we're we're not different from anyone else and that wasn't really my gig so um and and it and so I couldn't see us getting high growth and I you know I like high growth companies Mm -hmm. so in the end um yeah I got out of it I, I only kept it for about five years Wait, so just just so I'm clear. So you bought into an existing business. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it was an existing chair manufacturing business. Yeah. Not so the... I bought in for three million and I sold for four million. Okay. So not the sexiest thing in the whole wide world, but you thought no. there was an opportunity there. And at some point you just decided, you know, the growth you know, the margins are what they are, the growth the trajectory on this thing isn't what it can be, but you put three in and, and you ended up taking four out of that. Just out of curiosity, did you raise the three or did that come from private funds or did you have it was the acquisition no. financed by the inventory that was already in place? How did you? Where did you come up with the three? Uh, yeah, I bought it on. Uh, I think it was four times four times EBIT. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, in terms of the dollars, uh, I think I, I totally funded it from the from the bank because I had just had just water my original company. Um, yeah, had had money there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Just curious, Tony. So, um, it's fascinating. Some people just stay in one company and double down and triple down. And what what was it that made you want to go into another company when you, when Just Water sounded like it was going so well? Well, I'll tell you what I what I was thinking of doing at the time was um, was setting up a, a I suppose a private equity company where I would take major stakes. And so what I was saying, hey, listen. You know the, the perception of private equity people are that all they're interested in is numbers, and and so I was going to go to market and say, hey, listen, I know how to run companies, and I want to keep a stake in these companies, but I want you guys, you know, more of the public to share in this as mm-hmm. private equity, mm-hmm. and uh, and so Bureau was was the first one I bought into, and I was going to bring Just Water also into it, uh, and then go out and and IPO, IPO it as a uh, as a, in effect, a public private equity company. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I decided, hey, it's just as hard running a small business as it is running a large business. So I might as well run larger businesses. Well, ain't that the truth, right? So, I mean, that's, and, and in real estate, I mean, having done real estate development for a number of years, that's, that's kind of always been my MO is it takes you just as much time, effort, and energy, uh, granted less money because you have to raise more money or come out of pocket more if you're going to do a larger project. But the amount of time that it takes is al- almost always the equivalent. 
But but I have to to then back up for a second here. So are you saying so? So the current business, which is doing forty million in annual right now, that that is just water, which is going to become just life there. But are you saying that while just water was was doing what it's doing, and we'll get into exactly what that is here in a second, are you saying? that you then went off and did these other endeavors during the time that Just Water was in existence? Yes, yes, because I, uh, I had other, um, you know, I had a good management team that stage, and uh, I thought I could do these things. Probably shouldn't have, but mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't stop myself. All right, just want to make sure. then, uh, so Barter Card, which, which I held for 15 years, um, was a different, was a much bigger company. We did uh, 200 million uh in uh, in trading turnover, and uh, and in fact, yeah. So so I was running both Just Water and Bartercard, but more as chief executive. Each of them had a general manager. Mm-hmm. And just so I'm clear, how how do you spell that? What was that company? B A R. How do you? B A. It's a Barter Card. Oh, B A R T E R. Gotcha. Um, card. Yeah. And that was a. That was a good business. So was, that's been one of my most successful ones in terms of cash flow and exit. Mm-hmm. So is that the? So did you start BarterCard from scratch, or was that an existing no, business that you bought as into a, as well? Again, an existing, an existing failing business, I suppose. Mm. And uh, yeah, built that one up. What attracted you to an existing failing business? <laughs> I mean, that's you know. Well, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't that in itself. I love the concept of barter, mm-hmm. and uh, and so. You know, so if I was buying, so in terms of, it was business that you wouldn't get otherwise. So if I was buying something uh, for a dollar and selling it for two dollars, when I'm trading it, I'm I'm getting two dollars value for it. Mm-hmm. So, so barter, barter card, uh, just just so I'm clear, it was sort of an intermediary, and you took a, a piece of each transaction. What was the revenue model around yeah. barter card? Yeah, so we so we took a piece of of the of the action on the buying and selling. Mm-hmm. So we got cash on. Uh, in fact, <laughs> might sound horrible, but but six percent each each way. Wow! Um, on the buying transaction, the selling transaction. So that so so the net revenue on that, uh, and, and let me just be clear on this. So when you when you did the acquisition and you came in, you came in as one hundred percent owner, brought in your own group, or how, how did yeah. you? Okay, and what did no, you acquire? I didn't do my own group. No. Um, well. You know, probably of interest to, you, to your listeners is so doing an acquisition. The the post acquisition is is just so critical and much more much more important than uh, than uh, than I suppose negotiating the price. I mean, getting that post acquisition right and um, making sure you've got the right team. Mm-hmm. So normally you'll find there are some people you'll know immediately. Um, there are some people that just aren't going to make it, and and some people there will always be some good guys and. In the uh, in a company in, that you buy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so just just so I'm clear on this, what was the acquisition price on that, and how did you where did the where did the actual cash come from to do the acquisition on BarterCard? Uh, again, total total bank funding. So total again, totally the, leveraged. Yeah, totally leveraged on the uh, basis of uh, of you know of just water. On the so I just had a good. That was like my house was sitting there as my uh, backup. Was there recourse involved with that? Was it non-recourse? Did you did you have to? Was there any sort of personal liability tied to the acquisition at all? Uh, at that, no, not so. The only uh, recourse was on Just Water, 
And by that stage at Just Water, I'd got away from, so I probably had a personal guarantee for um, probably 10 years, 10 or 12 years before I finally um, was able to go to the bank, say, listen, do you want my business or not? Mm. Um, if I have to keep the personal guarantee, I'm out of here. Mm. So, uh, so once I got rid of the personal guarantee, I'd, I don't do personal guarantees for anything. I'm sure. For leases or anything anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. And why, and why should you? So, so ostensibly, and maybe this will help people to understand a little bit about what we're talking about here. So ostensibly, you had a home that was worth a million dollars and you pledged that home, so to speak, to be able to to finance something else, right? So what you're saying, yeah. if I'm hearing you correctly, is you you pledged your interest in just water to yes, interesting. Okay, so to get the financing then that you needed to do the barter card acquisition, you pledged mm. your interest in just water. Yeah, but we paid three million dollars for barter card, and in four years that have been totally repaid. And you did that obviously by growing the business, more cash flow, and you knew where the yeah. opportunity was. And was that in, was that a company that you IPO'd or when you exit? So that was the fourteen million dollar exit. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I sold it to a company that um, in Australia that uh, that had a had barter card in Australia, and they IPO'd the whole business in Australia, including the New Zealand operation, and I took the cash. Okay, so let me just make sure I'm I'm clear on this. So did you you didn't structure any sort of long tail on that? You completely exited. There was nothing there there was no earnout or anything of that nature that was tied to the IP. No. No. In because high... I wanted to I wanted to be out. Um I thought mm-hmm. I thought it got to its level of, of its its level of maturity mm-hmm. and it could it could start going slipping backwards. Mm-hmm. So hind- I wanted to be out. In hindsight, if you had taken you know twenty percent in, in stock and eighty percent in cash, would that have been a better play for you? No, I would have virtually lost a lot. It'd you, be down twenty percent of the stock went down from a dollar to uh, twenty cents. Okay, all right. So the so the play was cash in hand, and let's just call it a day and move on. And yep. so in that in that exit, did you have partners who ended up taking a piece of that, or was it a hundred percent to you on that exit? Uh, 100% to me. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Now, all the while, you've got Just Water going. Yeah. So these are side ventures, so to speak. Obviously, you're putting your heart and soul into these things, but but Just Water is just going. So take us back then through. Did you start Just Water from scratch or was that? Yes. It, yes. Okay. So what So what was the well, – take us back then through okay. what Let Just Water what is and was and, and will be. Yeah. What happened was, um, I think I told you um, – so I, I joined this uh, other public company, and which had a subsidiary, which was turning over sixty million dollars and losing three million dollars. And over the year, I sold off the six had six divisions in chemicals and textiles and leather and paper, etc. I sold them off, and then went to the uh, the president of the company and said, "Hey, listen, you know, I'm sitting here in fifty thousand square feet, um, but." I've just sold the last business. So either I'm redundant or I've got, an, I've got a couple of ideas for businesses. And at the time, um, so my idea was renting fax machines. Mm-hmm. And, and this is going back to 1987. Mm-hmm. So fax machines were the state of the art then. Oh, yeah. And so, so, in fact, the week after the share market crash of 87, 
I started and started renting these fax machines. And, uh, and then in January 88, the, uh, the holding company said, listen, we're going to liquidation. Do you want to buy this, buy this uh, fax company for a dollar? So I bought the company, and that's how I started in business. And then in 88 and 89, a bit like the global financial crisis, a lot of capital decisions had to go a lot further up the, the line, you know, to boards or to the chief executive. Yeah. And with faxes, we were, we were solely a rental company. We called ourselves Red Eagle Rent-A-Fax. And so we boomed in 88 and 89 um, because people could rent and get away from going up, upstairs to get capital decisions. So then uh, in 89, I saw the opportunity of renting a water cooler. I'd seen them on, you know, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. the Lucy show and, and things. And mm -hmm. people were getting more into jogging and fitness, etc. So I thought, hey, maybe there's an opportunity here. So we bought six, six water coolers. Uh, these are office office water coolers, yeah. and we advertised, um, you know, do your staff drink gunk? I mean, they were terrible ads, at press ads, uh, small press ads, your staff drink gunk, get a water cooler. Mm. Anyway, they sold very quickly, and yeah, within a month or so, we were into a container load. Um, after, by about March of the next year, we were up to 100 per month, I mean, it's, which I thought was fantastic. We've just done February. We've done we did 800 this month, uh, month of February. Mm -hmm. So, but anyway, the and so that rental business is a fantastic, uh, fantastic business. The IT guys now call it subscription business. Sure, they think I think they think they invented it. Yeah, but, right. Uh, we were doing it 30 years ago. Yeah, water of the month, so to speak. So, and just so I'm clear, you you is it a euphemistic we? Like I'm trying to understand the. the... Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, it's well, it is. It's me. I mean, I started the business. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never been that much in favor of partners. Mm -hmm. um, but again, back because... back back up. Sorry for one for one sorry. quick second. Because you're talking about like there were all these pieces. There was a leather. There was a this. There was a paper. There was a that. So what what company? Those, I mean, it sounds like oh, that sorry, was the that was all under the the company that uh, went into liquidation. But that was, was your no, company, not my company. No, I was just working there as an employee. As general manager. Okay, and this is this is pre. Just so I'm clear, this is this is pre chair company. This is pre barter card. Yes, yes, yes. I got you right because what what the the the, um, uh, the life water kind of or just water uh, predates the other endeavors. Okay, I got it. Ah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's where it was unclear, and so I just want to make sure our, our audience understand the the timeline of things there. And so you went to them. You started with this fax thing, and then you said, well, obviously this thing's going to have a limited shelf life, but water won't. With health and nutrition everything, people starting to run and jog and you know Pilates, like all that stuff coming up. So you saw an opportunity there to replicate that model in this water space. Now, at that point, had you already had you bought out all of the partners? Had you moved beyond that? Because you were saying you know, that there were other people that were, that were involved there, or you're saying – that there weren't, I just again, because we were using the term we, I just want to make sure that I'm oh, clear sorry. on that. No, yeah. from Red Eagle, I was the only owner and okay. then changed to Just Water and I was the only owner. Okay, I got it. And so you, did you, and and once you start, and this is the, the struggle that so many entrepreneurs have, once you started to scale, how did you finance the cost of goods and the, and the various things? Because if you're renting it out, you're buying it for a hundred and dollars. Let's just call it a hundred dollars, 
and you're renting it out for $10, month 10, you make your money back, months 11 through whenever, or profit, how were you financing the goods that you needed in order to be able to put all of these things where they needed to go? Well, this is probably the the best deal I've ever done, but I went to the bank and I said, take the $100. Um, I said to the bank, listen, over three years, there's $3,600 coming in, and uh, why can't I borrow two-thirds of it? Two-thirds so of I can, it. Yeah. So then you're easily covered. So $2,400 you can borrow, and... And I was buying these uh, buying these machines for about two hundred. So uh, so I got my money back very quickly, mm-hmm. and I had ample funding. So well, yeah, <laughs> it was only it was only a bit later, and in fact, five years later, some uh, some young guys, young MBAs, came in and said, "What the hell is this? <laughs> these guys are owe us all this money, and mm. there's nothing backing it." Mm-hmm. And uh, and in fact, I um, I always remember this is the day it'll stick with me for the rest of my life they invited me in the bank invited me in and i thought wow we've had a great year we've put out a lot of water coolers they're they're gonna you know give me there'll be cakes and donuts and biscuits and everything there (laughs) but when i came in this all these grim people sitting on the table and said uh uh we want our we want our money back Mm. and i said what the hell Mm. and they said no you've got a month a month to repay it and then what they didn't know was that the next month uh the next week the next friday we were opening a new building which i hadn't i actually hadn't told them about i'd, I'd bought it off another off another bank um on the never never and uh and the prime minister was opening the building hmm. and he was saying you know due to my because i've been the uh my government companies like this have prospered and I'm looking across at my lawyer and say, gee, we've got three weeks. Mm-hmm. But I felt pretty confident. And we went to another bank and they understood the uh, the principle that you've got. You got They can see the cash flow coming in. They can see what your receivables are over a long period of time. Uh, in that case, at the time, I think it was would have taken nine months to repay that uh, repay the debt. So, mm-hmm. so they were comfortable with it. And they've been our bankers ever since. Yeah, I bet. So I had a quick question for you, Tony. So... You sold the chair company because you said we're doing the same things as everybody else, but yet, yeah. but yet you decided to to double down and hold on to the water company, probably the the number one resource on the planet. What what were you what were you doing different? What was what no, was, that was totally it was totally different in that we had a brand. Um, we had, we developed a brand. We're the first. We're the pioneers in that market. Um, we you know we dominate the market. Um, so that we could create a brand in the case of, in the case of being a wholesaler and we're dealing direct with businesses in the case of being a wholesaler, you're, um, you know, you, you're just, you're dealing with uh, customers. You have a bit of a brand, but it's not, it's not significant that you can really use that to, to command a better price. Got it. And then secondarily, what exactly is a Wally? Is that like something specific to New Zealand? I see it on your site here. <laughs> my Wally, my Wally is. Uh, well, you've heard. Have you heard of Where's Wally? Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, it's just or- a, it's just uh, using using that. We, um, we we sell these bottles with a person's name on it, so we're calling it uh, My Wally, which is ah, just a it. play on the Where's Wally, but you know because you've got your name on the bottle. Yeah, got it, got it. Mm-hmm. 
So let me, so me, and again, I just want to make sure we close the loop on this. So originally out of the gate here, we were talking about uh, an IPO and you were able to hold on to 70% of the company. So is the IPO that you're able to hold on to 70% of the company, is that for just water? Just water, yeah. It is. So what year did you IPO? Uh, 2004. 2004. And so it's been, wow, so it's been publicly traded for quite some time. And at let, let me just go back, go back for a second here. So in the, in the startup phase, you had a great idea. And, you know, again, with the way people were feeling about health and wellness and so on, it seemed like, well, okay, you know, there's probably an opportunity here. Uh, what was the key first hire? How did you really scale from zero to, let's just say, your first 10 million? Like, what were some of the I just want to understand some of the embryonic stages in terms of what happened and how it happened and, and what you did to to facilitate that growth. Well, we were obviously, you, you know, your funding, you're still, even though we had a pretty good funding um, package, you're still uh, very short on on money. So we you do everything on the cheap, um, which often isn't the best way, but we mm-hmm. hired commission salespeople mm-hmm. and... And that was the thing we're just keeping on, keeping on going. Um, we saw it as, you know, who the, the person who could get those callers in fastest was going to get the market because some, you know, competitors started coming in within a, a year or two and we had to be one step ahead. So it was mm-hmm. all about, um, about getting, getting, the, getting the, as much share of the market as possible. Mm-hmm. So and I think we lost we lost six hundred thousand the first year and the second year and we kept on losing money but it didn't worry me because we kept on getting water coolers out there that were going to you know that well, were going to give us revenue in the future yeah the more that you place the more revenue you could count on coming in the more you could factor that's right you know and the more you could factor that revenue moving forward so. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice that people are applauding you, by the way. I think it's so cool that you're doing this live. Ah, and people are no, appreciating. Just, sorry, there's a morning <laughs> tea right. out there at the yeah. moment. Sorry about No, it's that. all good. It's, I think it's funny. They're listening and they're applauding as you tell your story. <laughs> so um, so all of that being said, it was a race to get, get these coolers into, into the, the offices or where, you know, homes or wherever it is you guys focus on. So were you paying outrageous commissions up front? To, to get them we, in and to incentivize the sales force to move quickly yeah we're paying yeah we're paying good good commissions um, to yeah to get them get them in mm-hmm. and yeah. as we moved the cities we did the provinces you know the the country towns and uh, kept on uh, you know trying to get as good a spread as possible around the country mm-hmm. and, and just doing the math here so if you IPO'd in 2004 that's 15 years ago so you were in business for 17 years. Before you IPO'd, is that accurate? Yeah, uh, about, I thought it was fifteen, but anyway, it was somewhere uh, in there. It took yeah. around about that time before we. I'd always said when we started, we'll we'll IPO in five years. Uh, it took fifteen. Yeah, <laughs> or and, maybe seventeen. And and what was your? Do you, do you know what your run rate was at that point? Run rate meaning uh, annual revenue. Oh, when we IPO'd. Uh, yeah, probably about five, six million. So it was a pretty, it was a very, very small float because um, I didn't want to let too much go. We only, we only raised eight million dollars, mm. and we didn't even need it. We just raised it to, um, to be a public listed company. And the reason is, is that because I'd run um, a public listed company before, I recognised the benefits of it. Gives you um, a lot of credibility. So all the major companies, for example 
would never move away from us in terms of their water coolers because we look big, even though yeah. we're not big. We look big. Yeah, well, and it also Being gives public. you acquisition flexibility. I mean, if absolutely. You, yeah, yeah, and so, uh, so again, you were doing about five, six million in revenue at that point. Do you know what the market cap was or, or market valuation was then after you went public? The post money valuation. After we went public, it went. Uh, we went. It went up to a hundred million. Um, now, what happened was, I call it. In fact, we had our thirtieth birthday what two years ago, and I said we've lived through three decades. The first decade was survival, was getting over, you know, getting up there that you know you're going to survive. The second decade decade was high growth, high profits. And then the third decade was a lost decade. Mm. And I haven't mentioned this. We went into Australia, bought a a company, and three years later we wrote off $18 million. Ooh, that was a lot of money. Was that a stock, uh, stock only acquisition, or did you have to come out of pocket? No, it was cash. It was so we cash. lost $18 million in cash. Mm. Um, part of it was we had, a, we had just had a rogue general manager, and, it, and we lost it. <laughs> yeah, it speaks to the power, though, of people, right? And on paper, the idea of expansion always sounds good, but I think that's a lot of entrepreneurs. I mean, that's, that's their biggest fear is, like, you let go of management, you you – you just say, hey, you know, we're you can't possibly be in Australia if you're in New Zealand. I mean, like, you can't be in two places at one time. So I think that's an entrepreneur's biggest fear is exactly what happened for you. Was that? Do you think you just got greedy? No, I think I think um, I think what we learned was post post acquisition is so important. And the guy that we sent over was a was a good manager, but was no good at. Uh, at, you know, just became very arrogant with a new team, and uh, and just didn't do it well. And so the whole sales team left and started their own company. He got into legal arguments to yeah. divert attention and uh, just everything. And they just was very arrogant. So nobody wanted to work for him. And that wasn't our culture. We've got a very, very, you know, very open, open culture, etc. So he changed the culture and uh, and stuffed up the company. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. So you're, and just so I'm clear, so you're still publicly traded at this point. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. And what, what is the market cap at, at this point, the overall valuation, if you will, or however you guys term it there uh, in New Zealand? Yeah, market cap would, is $40 million. Is Is $40 million, But your run rate's $40 million, no? Aren't you doing $40 million annual revenue? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So We think it's under. We think it's, it's <laughs> under. But, uh, but we're also going low-key. Uh, we live on our results, and, uh, and as long as... As, you know, because there's a little bit of mistrust because that Australian Australian venture just it sits with you as a public company for a while to get get your credibility back. Mm-hmm. What what and is the so, stock currently trading at right now? What's the ticker symbol? Uh, well, as of today, it is um, uh, a JLG. It was JWI. Mm-hmm. It was J uh, yeah JLG, and it's now just changed to uh, JLG today. Mm-hmm. I hope it's trading in JLG. <laughs> You're right. And what, what's it trading at approximately right now? At the moment, it's uh, 30, about 36 cents. Well, there are, there's a wide gap between buyers and sellers. Mm-hmm. I think you, we just announced our results yesterday, so I think you'll find by Monday it'll be up around about the 45 cents. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Well, um, no insider stuff here. We're just talking to the CEO about what's going on. So don't, you know, people don't don't do anything crazy on us here. Just chatting. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about then the transition from just water to just life. So what what does that mean and what's going to be different moving forward? Well, what happened was, um, again, we with the cash flow from just water, we um, we could either, uh, you know, dish out big dividends or, or pay back shareholders or um, do something else. For the last two years, we've been looking for acquisitions. So we bought a company in uh, which does healthy homes. And so we didn't want to say so the name of the holding company being Just Water wasn't correct anymore. But we wanted to leave the Just in there so that people didn't forget us. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's why we changed to Just Life Group, which now has two subsidiaries, which is Just Water New Zealand and, um, and a company called Home Tech. And what, what does home tech do, and where do you see that opportunity going? So home tech is into healthy homes, uh, ventilation. It has a product called Solar Tube, which is an uh, American agency. Um, has various agencies for yeah, healthy, really healthy homes, ventilation, heating, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so... it does uh, half the workers with uh, government with government work. So right now we're at about uh, forty million. Then annually, what what do the projections show as you between the two units for just water and then uh, with the you know with the home tech and so on? What what are you seeing as being possible for you guys uh, revenue wise moving forward here? What what are the projections showing? Uh, we're thinking we we can easily be a hundred million dollars uh, within three years. Mm-hmm. And and the reason I say that is that when we buy a company, we're as a public company, and this is a big advantage, we can buy, for example, home tech at four times um, EBIT, and you know we're we're on the market at eight times or more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you get immediately capital accretion. Accretion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. And so um, all things being equal, are you – because, you know, look, penny stocks, I know there are certain connotations that go hand-in-hand hand with, with having – penny stocks and hopefully you'll move yeah. beyond that but are you um, in hindsight now are, are you pleased that you decided to go down that road i mean there's a lot of regulations and a lot of paperwork and a lot of uh, things that go hand in hand with being a publicly traded company is it all it, mm, has, that, that. has that been right has that been worth it well i think it like the intention at the time when everything's going up everybody loves you um when things go down when you make a mistake like we did in australia um, everybody hates you. Yeah. But um, but I think overall, as a principle, like now, I am very very confident we're going to go forward and we're going to we're on a growth path again. Mm-hmm. Um, we've uh, like we paid back. We got into with that Australia writing off eighteen million dollars. We had twenty seven million dollars worth of debt uh, with a cash flow from Just Water. We got that we got that um, right down to zero in five years. Yeah. Um, so then we're, we've bought our own building with production, you know, here. Um, and so I think, and so now we've sort of said, okay, let's guys, it's been, uh, it's been all about cash. You know, cash is king. Now we can go out and, and grow this damn business and mm-hmm. by, by both acquisition and by, um, and organically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So, I mean, look, it seems like you're, you're on a good path now and, and things are going well. What, just try to try, try to bring it back to a human level then for us for a minute here. I mean, you've had a lot of success on the business front, and obviously you've had your ups and downs and so on. But what 
what what do you still struggle with either on a personal level or on a business level what what keeps you up at night still uh listen i i'm an optimist so so i always see see the bright brighter side um but i'm also you know pragmatic and uh and you know i like the whole um i like seeing people in the company grow and uh and I'm just very, very confident about the future. So, so I'm not, I'm not a stress person. So I spend a lot of time. I always make sure, and always have made sure that, hey, I've, I've got some balance in my life. Mm-hmm. Play a lot of tennis, um, and I always have. Um, so there's always, I think, I've got some pretty good balance. Mm-hmm. I always said to, I said to my wife when we got married 38 years ago, I said, listen, if my work ever overtakes me, just tell me, and I'll get out of it. Yeah, yeah. I'll I do something you. else. How long have you been married now? Uh, 38 years. Well, well, congrats on that. And you got kids, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, man, it's uh, it's always interesting to have uh, the opportunity to chat with an entrepreneur, Tony, like yourself, who's so willing to, to share the the triumphs and the, tri- well, the tribulations and the struggles and, and so on as well. And, of course, uh, we wish you really, really well with what's going to go uh, on here moving forward with the uh, Just Life Group and everything that you guys are looking to do there. And, you know, I look forward to, to looking back on this episode and saying, you know, hey, we were at uh, 36 cents when we uh, when we talked. And then, uh, you know, when you get to three and four and five hundred dollars a share, then we can say we took Phil. We'll, we'll just take full credit for that. Is that OK? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> he won't mind. I'll right. let you know. Yeah, man. All right. If people want to get in, uh, more information on you, Tony, or on any of your uh, entities there that uh, that you got running, what uh, where, where are some of the best places for them to go? Uh, well, they can either contact me directly um, at tf at jlg.co.nz. Mm-hmm. And then online, um, yep, website. And then online, there's a website. Is uh, so first of all, uh, hometech.co.nz, which is H-O-M-E-T-E-C-H, mm-hmm. or uh, justwater.co.nz, or uh, a new website today is justlifegroup.co.nz. Uh, uh, Got it. All right, my man. Well, really appreciate you taking so much time to share with us here on Beyond Eight Figures and uh, wish you nothing but the best moving forward with uh, all of those endeavors and, and so much more. So really appreciate it, Tony. Thank you. Yep. Good stuff. All right. So, you know, it's uh, it's just another story. What, l- let me ask you guys this before I, I color it for you. What What really stands out for you guys? Uh, as now that we've had a chance to to move through about you know forty five minutes or so here with Tony, Mary, anything that really stands out for you as you listen to the, all the various elements of this conversation? Well, so people, we all have different personalities, temperaments, outlooks, attitudes, etc. And yeah. his seems to be perfectly chill. Mm. Like you know, he can even laugh at oh geez, you know that was not a great idea. But then, well, maybe it wasn't that bad. You know, yeah. he just said. He doesn't stress. He just is a positive person, and he moves forward. I mean, yeah. There's got to be a correlation with people are super successful that they're kind of chill. Yeah, and then you got guys like Balmer who are slamming baseball bats on tables and doing things. So um, I don't know, but maybe right. You Rich, hope. Yeah, right. Richie would. What? Maybe that's the hundred million. One. Yeah, that, yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Gosh, I mean, specific to this episode or yeah, all for, the... for this conversation with Tony today. I just, even though it's specific to him, it just kept pulling me back to things don't have to be sexy. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be... Water coolers. Yeah, I mean... Water coolers, baby. Water coolers, yeah. ink toners, like, you name it. We've had them across the board, but furniture. this is just another one of those, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and here he was doing furniture, which is the second one now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're talking home tech, right? Yep. And not home tech from the standpoint of, like, you know, sexy tech stuff in the home. But I, I think as you get a little more clear on that, I think it was more just mm, kind of modernization, if you will, of existing home uh, materials, home, I mean, the, the drivers of the house, you know? So it wasn't, it wasn't like he was sitting there saying, you know, hey, we're going to. We're going to make you into a smart home. It was so much It was more around the lines of just let us get into the home and we'll use new technologies around heating and air conditioning and these sort of things, right? So interesting. Yeah, but specifically just that it doesn't have to be sexy, We, especially in this day and age with, you know, apps, billion-dollar acquisitions. It's like, no, you can do pretty darn good, just yeah. simple things, stay in the course. Yeah, and public since 2004, which is impressive, I mean, albeit, it's 36 cents, but you know, what really stands out for me is uh, the consistent way in which he leveraged existing assets to continue to grow. So when he wanted to do the acquisitions of, of the other companies, just really leaning on that one big success and, and, and look, you know, it's, it's risk reward, right? And he was willing to put at risk a lot of what he had built up over so many years, right? And so that's... He obviously believed in it. He believed in it, but I think more importantly, he believed in himself and he was willing to bet on himself. You know, it's the same reason why I buy stage time. It's like I know that I'll Mm -hmm. see a 3X return on my money. I, I will bet on myself all day long. I'm much more confident about buying stage time and, and knowing that what I have is going to be of value for people in the audience than buying into Bitcoin or something that I don't understand. And yeah, I mean, there's the potential for a really big return. But, you know, in this case, I just thought it was really interesting that he was able to leverage so much of what he had done. So, all right, another awesome week here on Beyond Eight Figures. And we've got uh, incredible guests coming up for you in the weeks to come, of course, as well. Listen to the past episodes if you've missed any of them. For Mary Goulet, for Richie Ote, for White Wade holding it down in the studio, and Kelly holding it down back at headquarters. I'm Steve Olsher. We'll talk to you guys next time here on Beyond Eight Figures. Take care, everybody.